Welcome to Africa Insights, a podcast from New Lines magazine. I'm Kwangu Liwewe. In today's episode, we explore South Africa's complex relationship with the United States following a series of foreign policy positions taken by South Africa in recent times. The United States and South Africa have long touted their diplomatic relations as cordial, with trade balances reflecting the sentiment. However, recent diplomatic relations have strained this partnership. On February the 6th, two U.S. congressmen, John James and Jared Moscovich, introduced a bipartisan bill calling for a review of bilateral ties between the two countries. The bill alleges that South Africa has aligned itself with malign actors like Hamas and Russia. It also accuses South Africa of filing a politically motivated suit against Israel for genocide and closing up to Russia despite accusations of war crimes in Ukraine. The bill further criticized South Africa's relationship with China and its ruling Communist Party, citing human rights abuses and its coercive economic tactics. So, is South Africa undermining the U.S.'s security and foreign policy interests? Joining me now to discuss this is Professor Stephen Chan, who is an author and professor of world politics at SOAS University of London. He was appointed an OBE, which is Officer of the Order of the British Empire, for services to Africa and higher education in 2010. Professor Stephen Chan, welcome to the podcast. Great pleasure. So let's start with looking at this bipartisan bill before the U.S. Congress, which seeks to review the U.S.'s bilateral relations with South Africa. This bill outlines a number of issues, such as South Africa's links with Hamas, Russia, and China. But it also talks about the ICG case against Israel, which it refers to as politically motivated. It looks at South Africa's non-aligned stance in the Russia-Ukraine war and points out what it termed as a dysfunctional South African government, Of course, this is with regards to issues such as corruption and poor service delivery. What is your overall view of this bill? And do you think it will actually pass? No, I think it's got very, very little chance of being passed. I think that my overview of it all is that it simply betrays the ignorance and lack of knowledge of world affairs, and particularly of Africa, in many, many parts of the U.S. Houses of Congress. What you have is a knee-jerk reaction, very, very much trying to placate the Jewish vote in the United States of America. It's people trying to seek that kind of constituency for re-election. It's got nothing to do with an actual appreciation of what's going on on the ground in South Africa. And the accusations to a dysfunctional state, a state that is corrupt, et cetera, et cetera, that's just dredged straight out of the textbook of stereotypes on Africa, which by and large has long been bypassed. I mean, that's not to say you don't have these problems still there, but not in the old stereotype, ignorant native sort of way. Now, when you talk about stereotypes, would you say that the United States is being arrogant or it's trying to bully South Africa because its foreign policy isn't in line with the U.S.'s? Basically, it's a bullying act, but a very, very unthoughtful one, which is why it's not likely to pass. There are more thoughtful members of Congress, and certainly it's not going to please the executive of the United States of America, 
which regards South Africa still as a very, very friendly allied country. So yes, it's very, very much just, as it were, raising a fist in anger, thinking it could threaten the country far away, which no one understands in terms of those who framed this particular motion. And I don't think South Africa needs to be greatly concerned about it. It might wish, however, to upscale some of its own diplomatic initiatives in the United States, simply as a response to show that it's a friendly country that is not an uncivilized country. Something simple and not too expensive, like offering an increased number of scholarships to South African universities, would be the kind of gesture that could quite quickly nullify this kind of ignorant action. Does the fact that it's a bipartisan bill carry any weight? No, if I could put it in the most vulgar fashion, there are dumb people on both sides of the house. So that doesn't mean anything in itself. What you have is simply not just of South Africa, but a misunderstanding, a lack of, as it were, coherent view of a modern sort of a whole range of countries in the world today. I mean, the United States is very, very much obsessed with both Russia and the state of affairs in terms of China. But that's not to say they understand what's going on in those countries. But certainly they don't understand what's going on in China. And that itself seems to be yet again a replay of the old racisms and the yellow peril, for instance, which were almost as vitriolic in the old days as the hatred and stereotypes towards Africa. So there's no real thoughtfulness there. There's even in terms of Russia and Putin, a reductionism of Putin and Russia together. So Russia becomes Putin. No one's really trying to understand the depth and complexity of politics in that particular country. In a certain extent, it's a replay of Cold War politics, but very, very much in the case of Africa in general, and South Africa in this particular case, it's simply a complete ignorance of this huge strides that Africa has taken, not only within itself, but in the world up to this point in time. And the United States is not used to having international uh, court judicial proceedings used, either against it or against any of its allies. The whole idea of international tribunals, of international courts, of international commissions seems very, very much alien to the American sense of how international relations should work. In other words, the only actors in international relations should be states, preferably powerful states, preferably the United States above all. The idea of making use of an international court seems very much alien to many of the lawmakers in the United States of America. Okay, now let's look at South Africa's non-aligned position. This talking point came about last year, especially in relation to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But if we look at this year so far, we've seen President Cyril Ramaphosa meet Mohammed Hamdan Dagala, who is the leader of the Rapid Support Forces in Sudan. He, of course, is waging a war with the Sudanese army. And this has been going on since April last year. Now, Dagalo doesn't have the best reputation, you know, although in the current conflict, both sides have been implicated in serious human rights abuses. He was also implicated in the Darfur genocide in the early 2000s. So Ramaphosa met him in January. Well, some quarters view him meeting Dagalo as being hypocritical and inconsistent with South Africa's post-apartheid values, those of equality and justice. Now, after Ramaphosa met Dagalo, a week later, South Africa took Israel to the ICJ, accusing them of genocide. 
This, however, has raised questions about South Africa's non-aligned position. Professor, how do you view all of this? Again, I think it's taking these things uh, in a very, very biased way. The two actions are completely divorced one from the other. And insofar as the Sudanese case is concerned, if Ramaphosa was trying to, as it were, act as a mediator in that terrible conflict, and it's quite right to say there have been atrocities and huge abuses on both sides, but to mediate doesn't mean you just parachute into a conflict and say, hey, here I am, you know, let me bang your heads together and get this thing sorted. It does mean building confidence. So I would take very much the meeting with this particular rebel leader as a confidence-building measure so that he could use his good offices for mediation, hopefully at a near future stage. The action before the International Court of Justice is very, very much not a non-aligned movement gesture at all. It's very, very much a statement of the values that led to the end of apartheid. Very, very much that people should not be treated as second-class people, should not be violated in terms of their rights to have a nation of their own, majority rule nation of their own. This is very much consonant with the true values that everyone supported at the time of South Africa's struggle for liberation, for majority rule. It's often very much a lazy comparison to say that Palestine is just like South Africa once was. There are key and major particular differences between the two cases. But overall, there is a match in the sense that both countries, Palestine, South Africa, are struggling with some basic values to do with precisely equality, to do with precisely the right to rule yourself, so that the Palestinians search for a state of their own it's not unlike a majority rule state that South African populations sought. And in fact, the ironic thing is it's not unlike the Jewish search for a state of Israel. This seems to be something which is often forgotten, that what South Africa is supporting here is exactly what the Israelis achieved for themselves. At the beginning of our discussion, I outlined what the bipartisan bill is about. And one of its key concerns is South Africa's links with Hamas, Russia and China. But surely South Africa is a sovereign state and they can associate with whoever they wish to. Your comment? It's entirely up to South Africa as an independent, sovereign state, recognized by the United Nations and every other meaningful, as it were, organ in the world, to have relations and dealings with whomever it wishes. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's very much in America in some quarters, a rerun of the old axis of evil, as it were, way of looking at the world. We're the good guys, we're wearing the white Stetsons, everyone out there is necessarily not wearing a white Stetson, and if they're associated in any way with the baddies, they must also be baddies. It's very, very much a stereotype, black and white, wild west view of the world at large, which shows that you've got the uh, United States of America, which does not have an international imagination. And this is really the disturbing thing in all of this, a country that purports to lead the free world has got no idea what freedom of choice means, including the freedom to choose as a sovereign state with whom you deal in your international relations. 
Now, let's talk about BRICS, the intergovernmental organization that initially started with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. It's now expanded to include Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, and the United Arab Emirates. Now, within BRICS, each country has its own stance when it comes to the Israel-Palestine conflict. And specifically on the ICG case, we did hear from Brazil they openly supported South Africa with this case, while the others haven't said much or anything about it. Does this case have the potential to put a strain on relationships within BRICS? I don't think it's going to put a big strain on BRICS, which is primarily an economic grouping. It's primarily an alternative economic base for, as it were, challenging the dominance of international economics by the Western powers. It is in some ways something which surpasses the capacity of the old non-aligned movement because it's got financial muscle. All of the countries in BRICS happen to be rich countries, the richest countries in the emerging world. Uh, That includes South Africa, which I hasten to add is one of the junior players in this consortium. But it is there very, very much as an economic grouping. And that's unlike the non-aligned movement, which sought an equidistance between the great powers in terms of the power politics of those days. It's a very, very different kettle of fish. So I don't think that any political differences that arise in BRICS is going to have any real impact upon the economic cooperation, which is apparent and possible within the BRICS group. But the flip side of that is if we look at South Africa and the U.S.'s relationship, the U.S. is its number two trading partner following China. Now, you've already said that the bill probably won't see the light of day, but if they decide to cut ties with South Africa economically, South Africa does have an alternative with BRICS. That's in terms of its trade relations with these countries. It's simply going to take its business elsewhere, wouldn't you say? It's true to a certain extent, but because all of these countries in BRICS are well-developed, the most developed economically of all of the emerging countries, they've already got established trading relationships. Being able to muscle into those displacing others is more difficult than it seems at first sight. As it is, the trade that South Africa currently conducts with the United States is not able to be easily replaced. For instance, the platinum that goes into the catalytic converters of most cars comes from South Africa. And the whole green movement throughout the world, including the USA, prides use of catalytic converters as a means of reducing emissions and pollution. Also, I'm not sure whether or not the policymakers and the lawmakers in the United States recognize this. Many of them would be driving BMW 3 Series cars. Uh, They're assembled in South Africa. So you can't say, okay, one day we're going to stop trading with South Africa just like that. It won't happen. Um, You've got this whole question of, Nothing can just happen like that in international trade. Even the sanctions against Russia because of invasion of Ukraine doesn't mean that trade has stopped. It's taken time, as we're sector by sector, to readjust, to wind down. And Russians have had time to sort out alternatives themselves. So you've got a huge as it were, mechanism for adjustment within the international economic community. And there's not going to be any more among countries of a certain economic stature, the ability to sanction them in such a way that brings them to their knees. 
Uh, that never really worked, even with smaller countries in any case. And finally, it's election year in both the United States and in South Africa. Now, when we look at South Africa, the ANC-led government looks like they're not going to win a majority vote this time around. So if they end up having a coalition government, do you think that South Africa's foreign policy would change direction? And I'm asking this bearing in mind that since Mandela came into power and going forward till today, it's been an ANC-led government. And the ANC does have its allegiances with different countries. It's got its historical ties with different political groups. So will the foreign policy change if it's a coalition government? I don't think there'll be any sudden lurches or changes in foreign policy. I think you're quite right that there'll be a coalition government that emerges after these elections. But by far, the majority partner in this coalition government will remain the ANC. My polling figures right now have them in the 40%. It's gotten as low as 41%. But the highest figures that I've been able to seek to understand for the economic freedom fighters is only 20%. And that's not consistent nationwide. So very, very much the EFF would be the junior partner. I can't really see the ANC getting into a coalition with the PA, for instance. But it means that in terms of foreign policy, it's going to be the dominant majority partner that's going to dictate. There might be all kinds of bargaining in terms of domestic policy. And South Africa certainly has got a huge range of domestic problems. It'll be these that will be fought out on the election trail between the three major parties and also the smaller ones. But foreign policy, I doubt, will greatly feature in the campaign and not very greatly feature in terms of policy that is discussed during the coalition bargaining. That bargaining is all going to be who gets which position. It's not going to be very edifying, unfortunately. What would a Trump win mean to South Africa-U.S. relations? Well, maybe Mr. Trump has now learned where South Africa is. I mean, don't forget he once referred to Africa as a basket full of shit countries. Uh, So I doubt whether or not that's going to improve in terms of American foreign policy. It took him a couple of years to appoint last time around an assistant secretary of state for Africa. And he's not likely to move much faster this time. Now, having said that, there are powerful interests in the United States that even Donald Trump can't afford to ignore. And they depend in terms of their survival and their prosperity. And they depend upon good relationships with South Africa. Big mining companies, for instance, depend on those links being maintained. To a certain extent, the American economy has a strategic need for South Africa. So no matter what Trump does or doesn't do, he's not likely to be very activist in terms of building relationships with any part of Africa. The USA will still want and need South Africa. Of course, it means that South African diplomacy should be finely tuned to take advantage of openings in the United States and to diffuse any problems. But I'm not expecting great problems because of a Trump victory, not towards South Africa. I'm certainly expecting big problems in a whole range of other sectors, of course. But South Africa relationships with the US should remain pretty much as they are now. Up next, so who stands to lose if relations between Washington and Pretoria take a downturn? South Africa is an important African economy 
and a key voice in the global south, while the U.S. stands as its second leading trading partner after China. Pumlani Majosi, a South African author and political analyst, joins me to explore the implications of a breakup. Pumlani, thank you very much for agreeing to this interview. Great to be here and thanks for inviting me. Pumlani, let's first start with you explaining how this bill is perceived in South Africa. I think that where we are right now, this is a bill that has that was prompted by South Africa's um, ill-thought foreign policy, in my perspective, where South Africa has failed to recognize to recognize that there are greater um, you know, issues at play with respect to the Israel-Hamas issue, and that Israel as a country, as a nation, has a responsibility to, to protect itself and also to rescue its, um, its, its citizens that are held hostage by, um, by, by Hamas. So, so largely, the bill is not, it's not a huge debate, but in, in, in politics and the political spaces, um, the, the people who, who are in, the people who are pushing it are people who are largely aligned with Hamas and aligned with them, with, with Palestine. The people who have been greatly concerned about the bill are people who are in business, people who run banks, people who are in the business community, the relations between South Africa and, 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 and USA, the direction they have been taking in the sense that they are basically fracturing when you look at how, uh, how things are going right now. And people are concerned that we could, this could affect our, our, you know, our, our participation in the AGOA program uh, because we are a beneficiary of the AGOA pro- uh, program. Uh, it could also affect our trade relations and it could broadly affect our relations with the West. So within the business community, there is that, um, that concern as well. Okay, now picking up on AGOA, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, which is a U.S. trade program that allows some sub-Saharan African countries to export their products to the U.S. tariff-free. Now, when we look at AGOA's legislation, it does state that the beneficiaries mustn't engage in any activities that undermine U.S.'s national security or foreign policy interests. So if South Africa is kicked out of AGOA, won't the United States be equally affected? Or is it a one-sided relationship where South Africa is the one that stands to lose? Oh, look, I mean, it would be a, a loss on both sides. Remember, also, is also remember, USA is also benefiting in this. Uh, but for them, it will be a smaller amount of loss compared to South Africa, at least in my perspective. Um, so for South Africa, it's a developing country. It's a country whose GDP per capita is plus minus $7,000. It's a country where it's a country where half of the population is still poor. It's a country that has the highest unemployment rates in the world. Um, so I mean, for South Africa, uh, it is a very small economy, and for it to 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 to, to suffer that, that would be more negative for it. In contrast to the USA, which is this the biggest economy in the world, it's got a very strong, a strong, um, a strong, a very strong market, a very developed. Uh, market. So it would be a loss on both sides. Now, what concerns the worst or what concerns the USA as well is that, you know, if, if it were, if, 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 if it were to go tougher on South Africa, USA, what that would do as well is that it would push, especially currently with the ANC government that is, that, that is largely aligned with China and Russia, uh, or the so-called BRICS countries. 
if the USA would go tougher on South Africa, what that would do is that it would push South Africa straight to the hands of uh, these, uh, the, the Chinese powers and Russia as well. So, and remember, South Africa is Africa's m most sophisticated economy. Um, you know, it's, it's the most, it's got a very strong financial sector, um, very much a stable economy, very much advanced in contrast to most countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's got natural resources, right? So if, so for the U.S., um, there, there are also those concerns that if we were to go harder, these guys would go straight into the arms of China and Russia, be more strongly aligned, along with Iran, by the way, be more strongly aligned with those countries. And now we are losing the most sophisticated uh, economy in sub-Saharan Africa to those countries of China and Russia. So there is that way in, in the United States, yeah. Hmm, interesting point. But South Africa is already in bed with these countries, considering its membership um, with BRICS. And I might add that BRICS has actually recently added Iran, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and Ethiopia into their organization. So where is the threat to the U.S. since South Africa is already in bed with them and in partnership with these countries? Yes, it's, 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 already, it's already got um, both the relations between these countries or it's, it's, um, it's working closely with them. But it hasn't been to a point where it's, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's largely trade right now. It's not to a point where we could say that they are now real partners or this really on the side of, uh, of, of, of China and at, at, um, at the expense of, of, Western, of Western nations. But it's on the way there um, if, this is not, if there is no change. So let's go back to the bipartisan bill before um, Congress. In essence, this bill accuses South Africa of being inconsistent with its policy of non-alignment in international affairs. It also states that South Africa has a history of siding with actors such as Hamas and Russia. You did talk a bit about that and what South Africa's relationship is like with Russia. Now, in your opinion, has South Africa abandoned this non-aligned position? Uh, well, when you look at um, how this thing began under the previous president, um, uh, Jacob Zuma, who was very much, who, who took a direction of leaning more toward, um, toward the East um, at the, you know, at, at the expense of our relations with, um, with, uh, with, with Western nations. Um, and then it's, it continued under, under Ramaphosa. Um, and it never stopped. And the, the reason for that is because we, we, our political arrangement or our political setting, uh, as it is right now, what you see is that whether it's, um, it's President Zuma or President, President Ramaphosa, it's the same party. It's the same political party. That's got the same ideology, right? That has had a long um, uh, standing as having, um, you know, this affection for, for countries like Russia because of the argument that these are countries that when the NC, the ruling party, was fighting the apartheid system, these countries were there. They helped to, you know, to finance and back the NC in the struggle against the apartheid system. So you, you, we are—it's—it's it's ran by people who who have who have that historical view that somehow we should be closer to these countries because you know they were they were helping us during the the uh, the, the struggle. So that, that's the so those are the dynamics that um, are at play here, and 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 I struggle to see in the, at this point as to how that is helping South Africa. 
given the nature of the importance of the balancing act um, and the importance of ensuring that at least in principle and in value in value system, you stand with people who believe in the ideas of democracy and the people who believe in, um, you know, um, in, in open economies, uh, people who believe in free speech as well. That we've seen that under the under 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 the NC sort of taking them taking taking we're taking a new direction that is very much really um, is breaking down our relations with the West. Unlike you know the first president Nelson Mandela. Uh, unlike uh, the second president, um, Tabo Mbegi, um, under Zuma and Ramaphosa, we've seen that shift um, that is taking place. And it's quite concerning on a broader scale. You've talked about a concerning shift in South Africa's uh, foreign policy. So in essence, how would you describe this shift in relation to the country's foreign policy? Is it straightforward or is it some kind of a zigzagging type of policy? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, it's... Um, it's a confused foreign policy, if I can use that way. It's a confused foreign, foreign policy when we are seeing a, a situation where the ruling party has put, you know, its interest first than the interest of the nation, right? Also, when you conduct foreign policy, you have to think about trade. Uh, what will that, how, how critical that is for your country. You have to think about your economic development. You have to, to balance your your, your, you know, your relationships. Look, we have to, we have to, we have to trade with China. Even the United States cannot run away from, at this point, from China, right? Um, we have to, we have to continue trading with these nations. But we, politically, the, the decisions we have been making, it's been confused and it's been, it's been decisions that are taken for the interests or for interests of them, um, uh, of the NC, the ruling party, not the interests of the country. Because if we are going to take Israel to the International Court of Justice, right, we do know that Israel, we need to be very careful with this, because Israel's, Israel is, Israelis were attacked on October 7, and they had to retaliate, right? Um, they didn't just go to Gaza to fight the war. There were things that, that prompted or forced them to go there. Okay, interesting that South Africa is going to the polls this year, and so is the United States. Now, when we look at this bill, it's a bipartisan bill. What exactly does this indicate to you? Is there clearly an alliance between the Democrats and the Republicans? Well, if it's bipartisan, then it's concerning. I mean, it should be concerning for, for South Africans. In fact, I, I had a discussion with a friend today. We're discussing this exact bill, what the implications are. Because, yes, it's, politically, it may not pass in the United States. But the concern here is that the fact that it's, it's, it's already been put on the table and it's a bipartisan bill. What we are seeing now is that we are seeing both Republicans and Democrats getting frustrated over South Africa, right? Over something that could have been avoided. Um, now, even if it doesn't pass, um, the fact that now we are, the atmosphere, the public, the, 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 the congressional, the, the opinion in the, in the, in the, in the US Congress is now turning against South Africa. That is concerning because we don't know what could be the, the, the implications over the next few months. And I have said that if, uh, if Donald Trump does become president of the U.S., South Africa should even, should be concerned then, if you're already seeing this dynamic sports, Trump has been, has fired a few shots to South Africa, right? <laughs> you know, at some point, he, when Nelson Mandela passed away, he said he loves South Africa, but it's a crime-ridden mess. 
And then he went on to talk about the farm matters in the country. Um, so, I mean, of course, some of, some of the stuff he has said can be, can be disputed. But the point here is that we don't know what will Donald Trump do, how we will react towards South Africa. Will he be more tough on? Uh, that, that could happen, unlike uh, President uh, Joe Biden. So there's that uncertainty for us that's been created by this. And, um, you know, in, in largely in South Africa, when you look at, we look at U.S. politics, people largely tend to favor Democrats, right? So for now, there's that comfort that Joe Biden wouldn't, President Joe Biden wouldn't go too far. But now if it's a bipartisan bill, that is really concerning. It means that both parties in the U.S., they are getting more frustrated by how South Africa has been, has been conducting itself. And um, we are concerned in that from that perspective. Okay, you've described to us what South Africa's foreign policy currently looks like. In your opinion, is it in the interest of the United States with its security concerns to keep this relationship with South Africa? Look, I think the U.S., it's best to keep the relationship. Um, one of the things that comforts me is that South Africa is a democracy, right? Uh, right now, as you speak this year, the, um, the polls show that the ANC is going to suffer, you know, in fact, it's going to, it's going to, its support will fall, will fall below 50%, meaning that there is a, meaning that they will go into a coalition. So there's a very high chance of a coalition government coming through now. So we are, we are seeing change in South Africa and it's positive change. So if I were the United States and its leaders, I would try to make the relationship between South Africa and the US to work, right? Um, for the interest of the two nations. Um, as I said, South Africa, very much sophisticated economy in the sub-Saharan region, um, you know, very advanced and advanced economy. It's got the natural resources. So there are opportunities that can, that can grow between the two countries. Pumlani Majosi, thank you for your input. And a special thank you also goes out to Professor Stephen Chan. This week's podcast was produced by Patrick Hagen and hosted by me, Kwangu Liwewe. This is Africa Insights' final episode, but we'll be back every last Friday of the month with a new podcast called Global Insights. This podcast will look at diverse perspectives from various corners of the globe. Bye for now.